Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, will you turn with me to Psalm 89? And one of the things that we've learned as we have journeyed through God's hymnal here, through the book of Psalms, is that uh, different psalms have different genres. Uh, Some are nothing but praise. And then there are pilgrim psalms. We're going to get into those a little bit, probably by the end of the year. Uh, Those are ones that, they'd be songs of praise, but songs they would sing as they were traveling up to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. So it's kind of like road trip music. Um, There's penitential psalms where confession of sin and uh, crying out for God's mercy occurs. There's wisdom psalms that teach us about who God is, what he's done, what he's promised. And there's royal psalms, talk about David as the king. And usually those are also messianic, pointing to Jesus, king of kings. But there's also lament psalms. And uh, if you remember, it's been a while since we've had one, but a lament is the cry of one who belongs to God when life circumstances do not line up with what they know to be true about who God is and what God's done and what God's promised to do. Um, And when you have a psalm as long as Psalm 89, 52 verses, it's probable that you'll have at least two, maybe more uh, different genres in that psalm. Two weeks ago, we studied the first 18 verses of Psalm 89, where God had a worship leader named Ethan, who, who led worship in David's time period. He wrote about God's character and conduct, directed our minds to that in the first 18 verses. And then we read verses 19 to 37 two weeks ago because it is a a poetic restatement of the Davidic covenant, the covenant God made with David back in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 16. But tonight I want to focus on the last few verses, verse 38, as this song wraps up, there is an abrupt change in tone between verse 37 and verse 38. Here at the end of Psalm 89, Ethan tells us that life circumstances are not lining up with what God's people know to be true about who he is and what he's done and what he's promised. Things have occurred in Ethan's life that make it currently seem like or feel like God's not keeping his word or that God isn't working all things together for his glory and for the good of those who are his. And so the end of Psalm 89 definitely fits into the lament category Uh, But God has a lesson for us in this lament. Let's read it, beginning in verse 38. It says, But thou hast cast off and abhorred. Thou hast been wroth with thine anointed. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. Thou hast broken down all his hedges. Thou hast brought his strongholds to ruin. All that pass by the way spoil him. He's a reproach to his neighbors. Thou hast set up the right hand of his adversaries. Thou hast made all his enemies to rejoice. And thou hast also turned the edge of his sword. 
and hast not made him to stand in the battle. Thou hast made his glory to cease and cast his throne down to the ground. The days of his youth hast thou shortened. Thou hast covered him with shame. Selah. How long, Lord, wilt thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Selah. Lord, where are thy former loving kindnesses, which thou swearest unto David in thy truth? Remember, Lord, the reproach of thy servants, how I do bear in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty people, wherewith thine enemies have reproached, O Lord, wherewith they have reproached the footsteps of thine anointed. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. Let's pray once more. Father, we're coming into your word here tonight, and uh, <clears throat> we need its truth. We need its encouragement. We need the direction that you give it, given it. Uh, to us. And, and Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate that truth to us, um, that you would drive that encouragement. Um, your word is what gives life. That's how it all started back in Genesis. You said, let there be. And even tonight, your word is what gives us life. So we come to it and ask you to do with it what you want in order to for us to bring you glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, in verses 38 to 45 here at the beginning, uh, we find an assessment made by Ethan. It's an assessment of his situation, what he's currently experiencing. And it is definite, a definite change in tone there from verse 37 to verse 38. In fact, the first 37 verses of this song, I mean, it soared with confidence in God's character and in his conduct and in his covenant that he made to David and to David's descendants. But this section has Ethan considering some present-day crisis that has dramatically affected uh, King David or one of his descendants and also all those he reigns over. Now, if it was about David's life, it could be regarding the coup attempt that his own son Absalom uh, made. That had to be a remarkably painful thing, don't you think? And it would line up with the assessment of the situation in these verses, so that's possible. It could be about the spiritual decline that David's son Solomon underwent. He was the first to take the throne after David. He would be a recipient of the Davidic covenant promises and blessings, um, but we know that the wisest man ever, toward the end of his life, did not make wise choices. This section of Psalm 89 could also be a prophetic referral to what happened after Solomon, um, to the decline of the kingdom. It was split right after Solomon. And with rare exception, all of the subsequent kings of the northern kingdom of Israel and even the kings of the southern kingdom of Judah, those who were actually descended from David and thus uh, privy to the promises and blessings of the Davidic covenant, with rare exception, almost all of the kings after Solomon either tolerated or they full-on endorsed idolatrous worship and wicked behavior during their reigns. Or what's described here in verses 38 to 46, it may be about some other crisis that isn't even recorded in God's word. And, and the ambiguity here, uh, the lack of any specific details that would help us connect it to some specific context, that lack of ambiguity or 
that ambiguity, it, it makes it meaningful and, and applicable to any situation that you and I might find ourselves in when we have a lament. Um, you and I knowing who God is and what he's done and what he's promised, but, but having our current life experiences not lining up with our faith in all of those truths. Well, let's look at verses 38 and 39 first because they might be the strongest description in Ethan's and in God's people's assessment of their current situation. It says, but thou hast cast off and abhorred. Thou hast been wroth with thine anointed. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. That's pretty strong wording, isn't it? Um, Ethan, inspired by God to write these words. Ethan says, God, you have cast us off. You abhor us. You're angry with, with your anointed. David or one of his descendants that was chosen to rule over God's people. He says, God, you have made void the covenant that you made with David. You've profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. So what God is having Ethan communicate here in his assessment is this. It looks like, it feels like, it seems like God's promise in that Davidic covenant has failed. He didn't come through. That God has not kept his word on what he has promised. Now, there is no looks like, feels like, seems like here. They're just direct statements. Ethan's assessment leads him to accusations against God. But you and I, we have the benefit of living long after God had Ethan write these words. And so we know that this isn't the case. We know God hadn't failed. Uh, Now, from Ethan's perspective... He didn't know that. We know God was faithful. David had a descendant on the throne as a recipient of God's covenant that he made with David. And that covenant was ultimately and forever fulfilled in David's descendant, Jesus Christ. So we know that God kept his covenant. When Jesus ascended, he took the throne in heaven. He remains enthroned there at God's right hand until he will return and he will reign here on earth uncontested as well. So so we know that this is a, it feels like, it looks like, it seems like God hasn't come through incorrect assessment in Ethan's lament. But Ethan doesn't know that right now. And so right there's an initial lesson for us in those first two verses We ought not base our faith in who God is and what he has done and what he's promised on our own assessment, particularly when we find ourselves in seasons of lament. When our life circumstances are not currently lining up with what we know to be true about God, because God has never not come through. It's not going to start with us. We won't be that exception. His ways, his thoughts higher than ours, right? Way beyond our ability to properly assess all the time. And his unbroken historical track record is one of always working all things together for his glory and for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's his promise to you in Romans 8, 28. Amen? That's what he promises. So when God has Ethan write these things, they're strong. I mean, look how many thou hast there are just in those first two. I mean, it keeps on going. It goes all the way to verse 44. Thou hast or you have. God, you've done this or you've done that. He's speaking that all of these circumstances are God's doing. And so for Ethan and hopefully for us to think that way, to think that God has allowed such a disaster, that's pretty painful. 
But it would be even more painful to think that God had nothing to do with it, that uh, we are completely at the mercy of random events or luck or fate. So even in these accusations and Ethan's assessment, we find this little flicker of faith in his heart. He knows God is sovereign. In verses 40 to 41, Ethan describes their current situation. It's bad. Like on a military level, they are defenseless. God's broken down their military defenses to the degree that other nations who witness it, they mock and they ridicule them. According to verse 42, Ethan's assessment is that God has removed David or his descendant from the throne and actually empowered and enthroned or set up the enemies of God's people. You ever feel like that? Like God has set up the enemies of his people? I mean, I remember a time when we had leaders in our communities and in this nation that had like at least some regard for God and his word and his will. And even like they had a recognition that um, they were in their position of leadership by God's design and with a purpose and intent from God. That, that's definitely not the case anymore. So we can empathize with what Ethan's feeling here. Verses 44 to 45, they continue Ethan's assessment. God's once powerful people right now, currently, they're powerless in battle. They're without power. They're without any position to even try to wield power. It's a really strong phrase there at the end of verse 45, completely covered in shame. And that's a selah. Pause the song and meditate on everything that was just said. And, um, you know, so many of us love the Psalms because of the raw honesty that we find in them, um, like passages like this. I mean, we can connect with situations like this. And, and then, you know, it looks like, it feels like, it seems like God might not be in control or we wonder if he will be faithful. We can connect with that. And that's a good thing because then hopefully we will also connect with the way out of incorrect assessments like this. God willing, we will connect with what needs to happen next. And, and it's an appeal in verses 46 to 48. This entire song has been a prayer, but now there's a plea, there's an appeal for God to intervene and actually alter the situation beginning in verse 46. And we find a question that's offered in prayer frequently in the Psalms. How long, O Lord, how long is this going to go on? And then that's followed by the question, will you hide yourself forever, God? And that's more than just a statement of Ethan wondering if God is present or not. In the Old Testament, in that culture, to hide oneself was an expression of displeasure. And that would line up with the final question here, shall your wrath burn like fire? In verse 47, Ethan asked God, remember how short my time is. And as is the case whenever we find that word remember in the Psalms, this is not a situation where God has forgot what they're going through or that he's unaware. I mean, he says, thou has done this. He knows he's aware. Remember has, in the Hebrew, it has the idea of set your mind completely on this situation. Like be devoted to what I'm going through. And then more importantly, act. Do something to alter this situation. Act on behalf of your people. And that's the prayer of verses 46 to 48 right there. God, please come fix this. Please come handle it. Come, come through on your promises and do it quickly, he says here. 
because it feels like, it looks like I might not have long to witness that happening during my lifespan. In recollecting how small he is and how brief human life is here, Ethan elevates how big God is by making this appeal. That's important. T- terrible theology that will just stunt or destroy faith always results from us elevating man and minimizing God by us not turning to God in an appeal for help and trying to handle things on our own in our own strength or with our own resources. But on the converse, strong faith is the result of us having an accurate conception of who we truly are and who God truly is. And that understanding, that kind of faith, it's displayed in our appeals. It's displayed when we pray. That's why it's so important that we do. When we pray for God to help us, even in raw honesty, like Ethan does here. Now let's look at the ascent, verses 49 to 52. There's an ascent out of fear and to faith, out of Ethan's incorrect assessment, all those accusations he made against God, um, because of his lamentable circumstances. And that ascent, it's, it's displayed in prayer and in the content of his prayer. But here in verse 49, he does something that we have learned to do in all of the moving from fear to faith psalms that we've studied so far. He says, God, where are your former loving kindnesses? In verse 49. He asked God to pour out his former loving kindnesses. So Ethan takes a look back. Maybe in his own life, maybe in the historical record of God's people where there is clear evidence of God's faithful, always for our good and his glory conduct, there have been former loving kindnesses, former mercy, former grace. And so here's the concept that I want you to visualize. You can daydream for a moment here, but I'm going to kind of guide your daydreams, all right? You're... Life circumstances are not currently lining up with what you know to be true about who God is and what he's done and what he's promised to do. And you're standing in this pool, all right? It's hot outside. So you just, you're like ankle deep in this pool right now, pool of water. Um, and it's difficult. It's difficult for you to feel or to sense God's grace currently, at least with any kind of confidence. And so you take a look back. That's what we're being taught to do over and over here. You look back, and you maybe, maybe you see it in your own life. That's really powerful. Um, sometimes you can't. And so you, you look back, and you see it in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone through, because there is a through. They've gone through the same thing, and they've experienced God's faithfulness. Or if you can't even do that, you can take a look back right here in God's Word, where you have 66 books, where it shows us over and over again, example after example of what you know to be true actually occurring, God coming through. And you look back, you're standing in this little pool of water, and you look back and you see this vast lake, vast and deep lake of God's past grace to you and to his people. And that lake came from somewhere. I mean, it's fed. And that lake is fed by some stream. And You're standing in it right now. You're trying to properly assess. And that stream is fed by by this thunderous waterfall. And that thunderous waterfall is God's grace coming your way tomorrow and next month and next year for as long as you live. 
That's what God's trying to show us here in all these moving from fear to faith psalms. It all starts with a look back. Sometimes you can't see that waterfall. You can't hear it. You can't even sense if this is God's grace right now. You have to look back and see his past grace in your life to fuel your faith in his current grace and your future. It all started with a look back. His grace will be there in an hour and tomorrow and the next month. You can't store it up. You don't need to store any up. Deuteronomy 33, 25, God makes this promise to you. As your days are, so will your strength be. He'll give you strength tomorrow for however long you live. God's grace will be there. God will be there. It all started with a look back, the vast and deep lake of God's past grace to you and to everyone who is his. He's given us that so that we have it as a resource to fuel our faith in his grace to us today and forever. In verses 50 to 51, there's another remember. This time it's to the Lord, capital L, small O-R-D. It's different than the first remember, which was to Yahweh. Uh, this is to Adonai, our sovereign ruler. And, and in his ascent of faith in this lament, Ethan prays for God to set his mind on and act to alter this situation that has resulted in God and his people. They're being ridiculed. They're being reproached. They're being defamed by godless nations. And finally, we come to verse 52. And if 37 to 38 was an abrupt change, this is pretty abrupt too, isn't it? Verse 52, the psalm ends. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. He's just asked God, where are your former loving kindnesses? And all of a sudden, he goes to, blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. Record of anything really changing between and Ethan's not like, you know what? Leave and you came through for me, God. I got to see it. I, I called out to you in prayer and right away, you answered that request and boom. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. Now we know. That, that's what happened eventually. God had not failed. We know that Ethan, like us so many times, Ethan had this human, mortal, limited panorama perspective. I mean, what do we live? 80 to 100 years, if that? And most of the time we base our faith on today or this week or this month or what I'm currently going through. That's what Ethan's doing right now. God came through. And he had a purpose in what Ethan was experiencing. But Ethan isn't recorded as having experienced that yet here. Not between verses 51 and 52. But his ascent of faith is evidenced in that doxology we find there in verse 52. He sings praise in, in his storm. Blessed be the Lord. Praise to the Lord forevermore. And, and you just hear the echo of the praise that Job had in Job 13, 15. I mean, that's a long way off from Job 42 when everything got made right. Job 13, 15, he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him, yet will I hope in him. Now, Ethan joins Job in proclaiming, I'm not going to allow my situation or my circumstances, I'm not going to allow them to affect my faith. I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to allow them to detract from God's glory. I choose to give glory to him, not these circumstances. And Ethan's final prayer in verse 52 has him saying, I may not understand what I'm going through, but I will pray with, with a confident faith that God brings me through it. I don't understand what I'm going through, but I'm going to pray that God brings me through it. And, and as soon as possible. There's nothing wrong with praying that. As soon as possible. He says, how long, oh Lord? That can be our cry too. But he's worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our trust and our hope 
and our confident assurance that who he has been, he will be. What he has done, that's what he's going to do. What he has promised, he will come through on. So I ask you tonight, will you commit to follow the example of Abraham? God describes him in Romans 4.18. It says, against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. Didn't make any sense. <laughs> it was hopeless, against all hope. But what did Abraham do? In hope, he believed. It seemed impossible for God's promise and goodness to be reality in his life, but Abraham chose to live like this. I will believe. And I ask you tonight, will you display that faith? Will you display that hope? Will you display that believing, just like Abraham did, that glorifies God? It's good for you. Will you display that by praying, like Ethan does here, making this appeal? Will you display that by praising the Lord? And not just after he has brought you through, not just after God has come through. That's a good time for praise too. But what will you commit to be like Job and like Ethan here in Psalm 89? As God is in the process of bringing you through and being faithful to his promise, will you join Ethan in saying, blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. So be it. So be it, Dublin First Baptist Church. I'll have time.